Oh. oh no. All right. Well, we'll have Brother Ed and do our normal Sunday school this morning like we we do, but in a different fashion. Oh. And uh, I've got recording started, so whenever you're ready. All right. Well, this is kind of a new experience. <laughs> having Sunday school on on a couch. On a couch, right. Are you okay? I I could probably use some better light here. Oh, really? Why are you still that? Oh, that thing is still Yeah. There you go. Smart. <laughs> <laughs> Good thing we have Tony. This is yeah. <laughs> well. Yeah. Oh, you catch it on the couch. Is it stuck? <laughs> that, that, that's there we good. go. That's good lighting. Now. Did you notice anybody else pulled up in case we missed a real order? I didn't see anybody. It's my truck, okay. It's going to have me in there, too. Oh, you're fine. Well, I will. I will. <laughs> <laughs> You're in full view. All right. Well, I'll take your word for that. <laughs> We're studying a, a very interesting and very important part of the scripture today, and that's Acts chapter chapter or the second chapter of the book of Acts, and this is concerning the day of Pentecost and the things that transpired there and the. Um, I, I looked up some things about Pentecost. The word itself indicates the 50th. Mm -hmm. And that is the 50th day after the Passover. And this was that they were instructed to have this as a solemn feast. And the Passover itself, of course, was a solemn feast. So they were 50 days apart. And what's interesting is this corresponds rather closely with the death of Jesus on the cross. And then 50 days after that was the day of Pentecost. So our Passover lamb was the Lord himself. And this, this was, uh, the Pentecost wasn't, or the Passover, rather, was also their harvest feast. It was at the end, end of the growing season, and they harvested the crops. And we see this from various places in, in the Old Testament. The, all, all five books of the Old Testament, the Pentecost, Pentateuch? Pentateuch. Anyway, those first five books of the Bible, each one mentioned this harvest feast and when it was to be. And each one has a little bit, gives a little bit different uh, variation on this, but it all says the same thing when we look at it. And so, 
this in, this idea of the 50th day after the Passover and the correspondence between Jesus' death and the, and the Passover and the coming of the Holy Spirit is that 50 days after. And we recall when Jesus was here on the earth after and he was raised from the dead and he was he was talked with them for 40 days that we know of and then he said wait for you stay in Jerusalem and wait for the coming of the Holy Spirit and so after after he left they had to wait a certain number of days and I would imagine it was probably about 10 <laughs> and uh, you know this is my understanding and and the understanding that I received from what I've read it, it it's thrilling to know that the power of the Holy Spirit came upon the disciples and the Apostles at that time and we'll We'll read this, and uh, and I'll I'll start here with the first verse of chapter two. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. That is an interesting thing. They were in agreement. They were all together in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire. And it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. I, I read in another version where it said that they were given things to say by the Spirit and that this was given to them and they were able to say these things in whatever language the Lord gave them and that was an in, that's an interesting thing because there were people there that knew these languages it wasn't that they were talking nonsense although a lot of people couldn't understand what they were saying. But we'll read that here. It says, uh, verse 5, And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men, out of every nation under heaven. You know, now, the known world at that time was basically the Roman Empire. And it was spread from oh, what we would call Central Asia to Spain and to the to the west and to the south it would be down into northern Africa and to the north maybe up as far as Turkey you know and that would be the extent of the world at that time that was what they understood was there I mean, they heard about these other lands, but those were uh, bar barbarians and foreigners and people they didn't know. And so they 
said it was every nation under heaven. Well, that's all that they, all the nations that they knew. Outside of that, those weren't nations. Those were just tribes and what, you know. I don't know how how far people had ex, had gone, but I'm I'm sure that there were people there, but they didn't know who they were. But these people were amazed, and we'll go on and read here about their amazement. Now, when this was noised abroad, and and that idea of noised abroad, this was that sound of a mighty wind and the rushing that was heard, and then the the multitudes, or these uh, 120 people all speaking in different languages. So, now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which, which speak Galileans? So aren't these people that are talking to us Galileans? And how hear we every man in our own tongue, wherein we were born? That word tongue is an interesting word. I, I looked, and in the mm-hmm. Greek, it is the word dialectos. It's the dialect, not just the language, but the very dialect where they were born. They heard everyone that exact, their, their home language. You know, even today, people make a difference about dialects. Uh, here in America, how many different dialects do we have? We have um, people from Maine and people from Montana and people from Louisiana mm-hmm. and Texas and Colorado of all the foreign places, you know? But then we more or less understand each other. Uh, we, I had an experience with a couple of guys in college. They put a guy from Montana, great big, tall, broad-shouldered guy, a little, little short guy uh, from Vermont. And those two could talk to each other, and neither one understood what the other one was saying. <laughs> and they're both speaking English. So here these people were amazed. They heard things in their own dialect. You know, even in, in France, if you don't have the Parisian uh, dialect said just right, uh, you're, you're a foreigner in, in Paris. And so he says, how hear we every man in our own dialect wherein we were born? And he, he goes on to list a lot of these uh, places. He says, Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, and the dwellers in Mesopotamia, and in Judea, and Cappadocia, in Pontius, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, in Egypt, and in the parts of Libya about Cyrene, and strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes, those that had come into... These were primarily people who had come here for this uh, for this time. This was a solemn feast, and they wanted to be here in Jerusalem for that 
feast, and uh, they came from all over the world, the known world at that time, to be there in Jerusalem for that Passover feast, or for the uh, for the coming of the Pentecost, 50 days after the Passover. So these were primarily Jews. Many of them were proselytes, but they came from all over the place. Uh, verse 11 says, Cretes and Arabians, we do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. So these were people from even Arabia, which it wasn't that far away, but the fact of the matter was they could each hear the wonderful works of God, the things that God said, things that God uh, taught, was teaching and was showing for the world at that time. And that's what they heard. We do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. And they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, What does this mean? What meaneth this? This is amazing. We're, we don't understand what's going on here. And, and of course, there were those who mocked. Verse 13 says, Others mocking said, These men are full of new wine. Oh, they're, they're just drunk. And they knew better. They knew they weren't drunk. They, this was too amazing to just be drunkenness because people could understand what they were saying. And, and we see Peter coming and taking a leadership role here in speech. I, I think he had taken a leadership role from the beginning. Peter was a man who... Uh, didn't sit still for long. He he was impetuous sometimes, and he was uh, a leader, just a natural leader of, of among the people. And so, verse fourteen says, "But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea, and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem." Be this known unto you, and hearken unto my words. He says, listen up, people. This, all, all of you here, I want you all to listen to this carefully. And he was speaking in a loud voice so he could be heard all throughout the building. There were thousands of people gathered by this time. They were these other people, not just the 120 that were there in that upper chamber. But others came from all over Jerusalem to see what was going on here. And he's, Peter says, uh, Ye men of Judea, and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem. That, that, that's who he was addressing. People were from the Judea, the area where they were, and from the city of Jerusalem itself. Uh, hearken unto my words. Listen up. Listen to this. This is important. For these are not drunken as ye suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. That's an interesting point. The 
the third hour of the day was when they had their first prayer and the Jews were not allowed to have any alcoholic beverage at all prior to that time. And it was a law. It was a law. And if they broke the law, it was serious consequences for them. He said, it's just the third hour of the day. This is like 9 o'clock in the morning. But this is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel. So he said, this, is, this was prophesied. And then he quotes that prophecy from Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaids I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in heaven above, and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor and smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, and the moon into blood, before that great and notable day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So this is the quotation from Joel. And it's, it's almost word for word. You can look this up in, in the book of Joel. And Joel chapter 2, verses 28 through 32. And he says, this is... And Peter is explaining to the, these people that these people aren't drunk. This is a prophecy that is being fulfilled in their, in their ears, in their very presence. And he goes on and he explains further here in verse uh, let's see in verse 22 you men of Israel hear these words Jesus of Nazareth a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did by him in the midst of you as ye yourselves also know he said, you saw Jesus here. You know who he was. He did miracles. He, he brought people, the, the dead, back to life. Uh, he brought, uh, the lame were healed. The blind were given their sight. All of these things took place here in Jerusalem. You saw these things happen. You yourselves know that that happened. And he says that this is not something that is, it, this is a, a one-time occurrence, basically. Uh, he explained that Jesus, who was accredited by God, what, what better, better accreditation could you have? You know, we, we see Jesus having been uh, no man could do these miracles by himself Jesus said do this and it was done by God the Father he said this is God's doing it's not just this man but this man was 
given his accreditation from God. And that God knew and intended that Jesus would be put to death by the Jews through the instrument of the Roman government. This was God's foreknowledge. He knew this was going to happen. And and yet the Jews were uh, responsible for it happening. They said, we want this, this thief, this murderer, instead of Jesus. When Pilate would have released Jesus, they... They asked for a murderer to be released into their presence. Uh, totally unacceptable thing. But this is what they did. And they, they used the Roman government to put him to death. To put Jesus to death. And, and the scripture um, speaks of this. It says, Him... Verse 23 says, Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. So this is the, the, the counsel of God between Him, with God the Father, and Jesus. I, I see this as the only two that were consulted in this matter. They had a plan. God had a plan. And sent Jesus commissioned Jesus to come to this earth and pay the price of sin for all mankind. This was something that no one could have known. The prophets of old, the angels in heaven, the the mighty hosts of heaven, whoever that might include, weren't included in this council. But it was the he was delivered by the determinate council and the foreknowledge of God. He said, But ye have taken, and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. This idea of wicked hands, this was the Roman government that was being spoken of here. And in another translation, again, that is exactly who is implicated, is the, the wicked hands were those of the Roman government. And everybody agreed to that there. The Jews all said, yes, Roman government is wicked. Um, And then he goes on speaking of Jesus in verse 24. He says, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that that he should be holden of it. It wasn't possible for God for Jesus to be held by the power of death. And it was prophesied by David, which we'll go on to read here. He says, For David speaketh concerning him, I foresaw the, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand, that I should not be moved. That's an interesting thing. This, the Lord Jesus was David's confidence. That, that is an interesting thing. This is uh, from Psalms uh, chapter 16, verses 8 through 11. I'm still quoting from David, and it says, Therefore did my heart rejoice 
and my tongue was glad. Moreover also my flesh shall rest in hope, because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. This is, you know, he goes on to say, David's dead. His, his sepulcher is here with us to this day. We know he died. So this wasn't talking about David. David was prophesying at this time of yeah. Jesus. This is the one that you've slain. Um, David still speaking here in verse 28 says, Thou hast made known to me the ways of life. Thou shalt make me full of joy and with thy countenance uh, with thy presence in my life with, with Jesus presence in David's life this is an interesting thing David saw his Lord and he was blessed and he was he praised God for allowing his Lord, Jesus, in his life. He looked forward to that. I, I, I don't understand all of that, but it is, I, I think that the heart of David was known to God from, from the, before he was made king of Israel, before he was any notable person. He was just a kid out tending sheep, but he was a kid that knew the Lord. And God was with him, even in protecting sheep, using that sling that he used. He, he said the lion and the bear, didn't, they didn't stand a chance against God. God provided for David and protect, in protecting sheep and was a teacher to, to David. And I, I think that he knew Jesus even as the Apostle Paul knew Jesus out in, in Arabia when he was taught by, by Jesus. And I, I believe this. And it's an interesting thing. We don't see this happening frequently. And, but there are those that God chose and that God taught. And David says, I was taught and I was thrilled to have uh, to have him there at my right hand that I should not be moved that that, that I should not be concerned or, or troubled by anything that happens to me in this world is the idea that I see here he says therefore did my heart rejoice and my tongue was glad moreover also my flesh shall rest in hope because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Thou hast made known to me the ways of life. Thou shalt make me full of joy, and with thy countenance. You know, the presence of God in our lives should excite us the way it did David. To say, I'm glad I'm not held by the things of this world. I'm glad I'm not driven by the things that this world is driven by. And 
this is an, an exciting thing here. And then Peter goes on and he says, Men and brethren, this is verse 29, Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulcher is with us unto this day. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him, that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. David was promised that there would be a man upon David's throne eternally. And David trusted God and said, I believe this. And and sought the Lord in his life. Verse 31 here says, He, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. This is an important verse right here. That David saw that it wasn't him that was being spoken of, but it was Jesus, his offspring, that would sit on that throne. And so... He was trusting in God for this. Verse 32 says, This Jesus hath God raised, has God raised up, whereof we are all witnesses. Now these, these people had seen Jesus after he was raised from the dead. And he said, We are witnesses of his resurrection, that he is raised to new life. Uh, therefore being by the right hand of God exalted and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost he hath shed forth this which ye now see and hear he says this is the Holy Ghost being shown to you dramatically here in such a marvelous fashion this is, this is not a simple thing that's happened here this is the exciting act of God in your presence. He says, Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, Jesus was exalted by God the Father. And having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost. This was promised to Jesus. Jesus knew it was coming. He knew when it was coming at this point. And he hath shed forth this, which ye now see and hear. This, this beautiful expression of the power of God in the lives of men. And this is what they were hearing and seeing. For David is not ascended into the heavens, but he saith himself, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand until I make thy foes thy footstool. You just sit right here beside me. God said to Jesus, You sit here beside me and I will make everyone uh, subservient to you. The idea of a footstool is somebody put your feet on and you put your. He said, I, I will make them all subservient to you. 
and every tongue shall confess and every knee shall bow before our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. That word Christ there at the end is Messiah, the chosen one of Israel. That is an extremely important verse. Let all the house of Israel know, assuredly, without a doubt, no question, that God has made that same Jesus, whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. He's elevated him to a supreme position in God's kingdom. That is exciting. People don't, you know, I, I read through this. People read over this and don't think about what they're reading sometimes. But this is an important thing that is said to us here. Let all the house of Israel and all the world, for that matter, know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. And I think that the people who heard Peter say this, who were there in his presence, were convicted, every one of them, by the hand of God. This, this we see in verse 37 here as we read on. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? We've already done this. What, what shall we do? How can we, uh, how can we make amends to God for what we have done? Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Wow. Repent of your sins. Just turn from them. Repentance is not saying, I'm sorry. That's not the idea. The idea is turning 180 degrees from it and saying, I don't want to be like that anymore, ever again. Repent and be baptized. This, this baptism is the symbol. It's the entrance into the kingdom of God, the entrance into the, uh, into the church. And this is what he said for them to do, for the remission of sins. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. A gift. You, you not only are forgiven of your sins, but you receive the gift of acceptance of God's power in your life. For, for the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. These, you, you're given this promise. That's the promise it's given to you. These people who are repenting. And to all that are afar off. 
that come as far as Avondale? I think so, absolutely. And and to to all of the world, no matter where people are found, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. When when people hear God working in their lives, they need to answer that call. Verse 40 says, And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. This crooked generation that we live in. That was then. This is now. We still live in a crooked generation. Save yourselves from this by submitting to God. Submitting to God in your life. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. 3,000 souls were saved that day. Wow, that's exciting. Saved, I don't know, maybe the baptism was scheduled for later, but these, these people were added to the church that day. The, the Jordan River was a busy place that day, I think. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. These are interesting things. Fellowship, doctrine, the teaching is, the doctrine is teaching. And the fellowship is having a oneness of being together and agreeing in, not only in principle, but in action, in deed. And, and in breaking of bread and in prayers. This, this breaking of bread, I, I think, is just they shared meals together and the, the fellowship was sweet. And the, and the prayers were for the needs, whether they be sick or for their relatives that did not know, who weren't there. I, I think these people were asking prayer and and they were praying for one another all through this time and that's a, this is what the church is to be and it's exciting when we see this thing, this type of fellowship take place verse 43 says and fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles and all that believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all all men as every man had need so whoever was in need of anything it was provided the the church had the means to provide for people's needs and everybody had all that they needed and I think that this fellowship was a, a sharing, a one, oneness of whatever they had. It doesn't matter what it is. If you need it, here it is. It's provided. And, and this is exciting. And, and verse 46 goes on. And they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. Their, their hearts were unified as they met, not only in the temple, 
in the Jewish temple, but also breaking bread from house to house. They were going from one place to another just in this fellowship. This is, this is an exciting time, a time that was like no other. Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. God added more, more and more every day. There were 3,000 on that one day. How many more the next day? Say. We don't know. I don't, they, there were probably too many to keep in count. But this was an exciting time in Jerusalem. An exciting time here for those in that upper room who had the Holy Ghost come upon them. The Holy Spirit of God that that enlivens our lives, gives us opportunities to teach these things as Peter did there. We may not get thousands of people every day, but he had the opportunity to preach to many, many, many people. And it says that everybody was happy with him. And they, uh, where was that? Uh, Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily as should be saved. An exciting time. And we should find that kind of excitement in serving the Lord ourselves. You know, we, we get wrapped up in the process of living and uh, doing things on uh, ordinary, regular basis. But the power of the Holy Spirit working in your life changes things for you. Gives you opportunities. Gives you blessings that you would miss otherwise. And, you know, this account of, of Pentecost, I, I wish all of us could have that experience of of the the power of God working in our lives the way it did they did at this time. I, I know this was an, uh, a very special occasion. The coming of the Holy Ghost in such a powerful magnificent way. So people from all over the known world at that time were able to hear the wonderful works of God and see God working and miracles being done even then at that at that time and it's something we need to realize that is possible even today when we have cares and concerns about people we love and care about and they're their sickness and their troubles. We know that God is able to cure all, all diseases. He's the great, great physician. He's the one who can give us opportunities to serve. Give us opportunities to be what we need to be. And I don't know about you, but I, I have to admit that I have fallen short. 
and ask that you pray for me that I might grow and understand and and have the change of life that these people did right, on that day of Pentecost. It, it's an exciting time, people, and we need to use it. All right. That's what I have for you.